see. This is what's so stupid. <laughs> Are we rolling? We're rolling. Margot. Dan. Have you ever noticed when you're in a car going on a long journey that the conversations you have are deeper and more meaningful than any other time? I don't know which cars you've been in, but I want to be in your cars. If I'm on a long journey somewhere, I often have very deep conversations with people. And I think the reason that I think this is because we're facing in the same direction. In the same way that you go for a walk and you feel like you can just get a whole load of stuff off your chest. Because the confrontation of looking someone in the eye and saying something is quite revealing. But you don't have that when you're driving. You're just looking in the same direction. You don't have to perform for each other. You can just you can just say what you want to say. So you don't have to be worried about like what's in your teeth or whether you've got food in your mouth or... Yeah, you but know. I, I also think it's more difficult to say those things when you're looking someone directly in the eye and saying it. Depending on what it is. Interesting. Have you ever thought about that? No, I haven't, but you've just given me food for thought there. So, okay, if we're taking that formula, let's just say on dates, when you're sitting in front of someone, you have to look at them and not only assess them physically, but also assess their reactions to what you're saying. I guess so. Okay. And you're saying that when you're facing in the same direction, there's less focus on the other person, on their physicality, and more on what you're actually saying. So therefore, you're a bit more open. Probably. I like that. There's less confrontation, which is why... I think some of our more reflective thoughts have come during our voice notes. Via our voice notes. Okay, I see that 360 and I love that. Boom. I do agree that on voice notes, I've said things that I would never normally say face to face. Because they're not true. Because they're all fake. That's right. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I also am a bit more reflective on voice notes, which I guess is how we kind of became friends, isn't it? That's true. We both have the same boss. We do both have the same boss. A mystery man known as Gary Barlow. The legendary Gary Barlow. Of Take That fame. So you became his personal assistant in the end of 2021. That's right. And I was working there, still am working there, as one of his music producers. How was that experience of being headhunted for a job as a PA? Well, I got that job out of an unusual set of circumstances and I really was not sure what to expect. So I was both excited and absolutely shitting bricks. Uh, And so when he took me to a studio on our first meeting to meet his team, aka you and a few other lovely people, I was just more than happy to see this six foot... um, Two and a quarter. Two and a quarter, lovely person, <laughs> which was you, Queen. Oh, that's very kind of you. And then then we basically shared an office. We did. And it was quite, a, it's not a small space per se, but I'd say it's quite intimate when, you know, you're trying to make music and I'm distracting you all day, right? Well, I think what I really liked, and again, we've still only known each other for like five months. Mental. Despite that, mm. we've, we've struck a nice chord. We have struck a nice chord. No, no, no. We're also aware that in the year of 2022, lots of people are starting podcasts. Oh, yeah. And I don't want ours just to add to the noise of what everyone else is talking about. Some of these things that we're going to discuss over the next few episodes are stuff that I've never had the opportunity to explore. And I feel like you would be a good person to explore those ideas with. Likewise, Queen. But also everything I'm putting out at the moment is from a musical angle. And you are a writer and want to explore things in a creative way. And so I think between the both of us, this podcast will be a creative outlet that satisfies different ideas. Couldn't agree more. I also think a lot of what we're talking about 
will not only prompt thought, but also should hopefully, you know, whether you're cooking dinner or walking home from work or whatever you're doing, hopefully by listening to these podcasts, you know, you may think about things in a different way or share our thoughts and maybe we make you think about things in a different way. Either way, I just love the fact that I get to do a podcast with my friend talking about really interesting things. <laughs> Nearly slid off the table. I would also like for this podcast to be the start of a conversation and we can have people who listen to it potentially respond with questions or with follow-ups and maybe that would be a good thing that we could air at the beginning of the next episode to kind of go back on what we were saying last week so we have an email address which is voicenotespod at mail.com and we have an instagram which is voicenotes.pod and we have twitter which is at voicenotes underscore pod how cool is that because they don't allow full stops so Shall we get into what we were going to start with today? Let's get stuck in, Dan. I want to tell you about a gig that I performed this week as a drummer in a band. First of all, can I just point out, Dan is a super, super talented musician, and I know he doesn't want to brag about this. Imagine if you did, no one would listen. But he recently messaged me being like, oh, I'm just playing the drums. And I was like, as in like, as in you're watching someone play the drums? And he was like, no, no, I'm, I'm playing the drums. So I never knew he could play the drums. The I've, been, I've been playing the drums since I was eight years old. Awkward for me. Yeah, it's always been a fun thing. It's never been something that's been like, a, oh, you've got to practice loads. And like you've a got School to... of Rock moment. Kind of, yeah. Like, Were you other... Freddie from School of Rock? The cool um, drama guy? No, but I did always enjoy playing drums. It was always like the thing I'd like to go off and play drums. Okay. Whereas like doing piano and violin and viola and things was always a bit more classical. Anyway, this week we went down to Southampton to play an album launch of my friend who I play drums for in their band. And we sold out this venue. We had like 85 people come along, but it was a packed room. That's so cool. It was really cool. And just for reference, I went to the University of Southampton. So there were lots of people that I met there who were either people who were locals in Southampton when we were playing down there or were just friends who went to the university and then would come along to the gig because they've just stayed in Southampton ever since. So it was a really nice opportunity just to see people again for the first time in ages. And I met some of the people down there who genuinely haven't left Southampton in the last like five years. That's just where they live now. That's just their home. Mm. And it's a much smaller city than London, obviously. Um, made to be a city because it has two universities. So there's like 50,000 students. Is that the like measure of what a city is if it has two universities? Okay, so in the UK, a city can be associated with having a cathedral or a university, a particular form of local government, or having a large population of over 300,000 people. So the fact that it has a university makes it a city. Not having a florist. Not necessarily having a florist. Fantastic. What I realised, having only been there twice since I graduated, is that you are a bigger fish in quite a small pond. And people who stay there have a nice life and they have a nice community, but you don't necessarily feel that you have to get bigger to expand because the art scene is really nice down there. But it's quite a closed off community, I would say. Got you. If you want to go to other places, if you want to go off to Bristol or Portsmouth or Bournemouth, you can. But like Southampton is its own little cultural cul-de-sac. Whereas I find that London is obviously incredibly difficult for people to make it in. Not only because it's a lot more saturated, but because the pond never seems to get any smaller. You're the same size fish, but in a much bigger pond. And even people who have been struggling as artists for like five or ten years still haven't got their name out there yet because you just have to make it in so many small little districts before you can be considered like a well-known London-based artist. 
So did you feel like a bit of a rock star when you were bashing away at your kit? Well, it felt very cool to be back. This is where Dan tells me he's actually moving to Southampton to start his drum career <laughs> and I lose our friendship and the podcast. But what I realise is that a lot of the people who are there are quite happy. They're quite settled. Oh. And I would say a higher percentage of people in London probably don't feel like that because there's always this sense of hustling. There's always this sense of progressing from one thing to the next. And in a way, it was like, you know, when you zoom out, I know this is very existential for episode one, but when you zoom out, you've got people who are maybe achieving lesser dreams, but are happier, and people who are maybe doing bigger things in comparison, but are still miserable. It's all relative. I quite like that. That's, that is existential, but I think also it sets a, a nice tone for our podcast, right? Because you and I do not shy away from the existential chat, do we? I think it's the age that we're at. We're both 24. We are. And I think in the mid-20s, when you're a few years out from being at school or being at university or whatever, you get to this point of like questioning where you're going, what you're doing. Absolutely. But also what your dreams are, right? I mean, I moved to London when I was 21 and um, I sort of found the same thing in that Sydney was a little bit like Southampton. It was, uh, it was safe. It was the small pond. But obviously compared that to London, I mean, London is like the Thames, right? It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And suddenly your dreams once now, they just feel tiny. They feel tiny on the scale of like, okay, so this is where I want to be. And this is where I am now. You're suddenly competing with the whole population of London instead of the whole Sydney population, if that makes sense. Exactly. And then you realise that the Thames is actually just part of the sea. And then you realise there are also like bits of poo and sewage, <laughs> dead bodies in there. So yeah, I thought that was a fairly... Uh, Thank you for that. A I fairly really grounding that. insight. That was a grounding insight. How was your week? My week, Danos, was fabulous. Uh, I have to say, I came back last night from Runcorn. They call it Sunny Runny. Mm. <laughs> doesn't sound too good but they do uh and it was not sunny so I left a sunny runny uh for one week in this job you never know what to expect right a lot of it is on the road a lot of it is based around touring the UK which for me as an Australian is really cool because I get to see lots of part of the UK some places I wish I had never seen <laughs> so, some places I never thought I'd ever go to so you know, you, you take the good and the bad. I wanted to talk to you about something which I find very, well, it was key to my week this week. It was, if you will, my inside of the week. Drinking with work colleagues. How do you feel about drinking with work colleagues? Well, I think it can be quite nice on the side of building friendships outside of work that then impact your work life in a positive way. So occasionally with Spitfire Audio, we go on these little summits, we go and have dinner, we go have drinks, you end up at some like karaoke bar or something. And you think that has no effect on your relationships with these people at work. But then the next day you're like, oh, hey, mate, that was funny, wasn't it last night? There's like these little these little memories that you have outside of work that can make it quite enjoyable. But I imagine if you don't drink, and this is the other thing, at Spitfire at least, they always have to remember to add the asterisk at the bottom of the page, which is like, oh, by the way, if you don't drink, there's juice as well. That's you know, lovely. Like, you know, <laughs> there's lemon water for all you boring sods out there who exactly. don't drink. And I remember Respect. it was the same It was the same at university as well. If we went on a tour, we would often not be encouraged to drink, but drinking was just part of the culture. So would you say that your week has been a fairly boozy one? I would say it's been consistently boozy. And I think when you go on tour with someone, it's not the normal working relationship you have, right? For normal people who have a nine to five job, you go to work, you see your colleagues, you may have a few drinks at the pub after work, and then you come back to your home and you can switch off and you can be yourself and you can see your mates. 
when you're on tour, you are really with those people. So they become your friends, they become your work colleagues, they become kind of like your family. And it sometimes feels a bit odd. And I really struggled with that this week. Other people see a different side of you, but you also see a different side in them. So let's take Janet, right? Do you know a Janet at work? No. I don't either. So sorry, any Janets out there. We love you, but we're using your name as an example. Janet's this kind of like hardcore boss, a little bit cold, a little bit distant, not really sure where you stand with her, right? And then you go down to the pub with her and you're starting to have a few wines, a few Pinot Grigios. She's getting a bit loose. She's telling you about her relationships. You're telling her about yours. And you kind of start to see a different side of Janet. You think, God, Janet's great. I love Janet. I actually really could see myself hanging out with her outside of work. Next minute, you see her on Monday and she's back to that bad bitch attitude. Mm. Where do you stand with Janet? This is what I struggle with. You see one side of someone go into work all smiley to, to expect another side of someone, but they were never that person in the first place. For me, that's the hardest thing is adjusting your expectations and not basing someone off their drunk self because that's just not, that's not work appropriate, right? Mm. So do you use that opportunity when Janet's drunk to build up a rapport with Janet or do you instead try to break down what it is, what walls she has up that are down when she's drunk? I would say the latter. I'd say all of us know a Janet. Wouldn't you say? I'd say it's fair to say that we've all met a Janet at some stage. And when Janet has a few drinks, could be a man or woman. For me, that's the hard part is to dissociate how she was on the Friday with how she's going to be on the Monday. Interesting. Thank you. What I'm saying is I find it hard to kind of draw that line and I'm going to be stronger and perhaps a little bit more cutthroat and be like, all right, tonight I'm not going for drinks and tonight I'm going to watch an episode of The Tinder Swindler. Have you seen that? I haven't seen it yet, but it's on my list. Okay, great. So we, we'll talk about that next next step. Well, to that end, I think everyone's heard of FOMO, fear of missing out, mm-hmm. but very few people have heard of JOMO. <laughs> The joy of missing out. I love it. And I think sometimes, and I think this is particular with social media, people think that they are not privy to all these fun things that people are doing. But back in the day, you just wouldn't know. And sometimes what you don't know... um, What you don't know doesn't give you FOMO. Exactly. It gives you JOMO. (laughs) (laughs) A, A topic I wanted to bring up this week is something that I saw on Twitter the other day. Okay, I love this. Also, just so you know, Dan is very good on Twitter. I don't tweet. I'm, I'm, I'm not very good on Twitter, but I, I seem to follow people who, who like a lot of the things that would make me laugh. Okay. And I think this is one of those things. So Carolyn Hacks, who's been working for the Washington Post for many, many years. Go Kaz. And without really knowing a huge amount about her, I have a feeling she gives out relationship advice to anonymous people who are emailing in. Well, we've had an email in this week and... Mm. It's pretty funny. Okay. Dear Carolyn, I'm going to read it to you. Okay. Dear Carolyn, before the pandemic, my wife and I, early 30s, both lawyers, had long working hours and frequent business travel with weekends spent largely on family events and cultural activities. Once our respective firms sent us to work at home, we calculated we would gain 30 plus hours a week, even while still working full time due to not commuting, traveling or socializing in person. We promised each other we would use that time to be productive in ways our prior schedules did not permit. I kept my end of the bargain. In six months, I read 25 biographies, developed decent conversational skills in two foreign languages, upped my running program to a point that I am marathon ready and started volunteering for voter registration advocacy, all while continuing to work full time. This guy's done pretty well. I kind of want to punch him, but yes, continue. My wife has done 
not so much. She's been reading fantasy novels, occasionally watching a History Channel documentary, and has generally used the time to quote-unquote unwind. I have confronted her several times, and she tells me she is quote rejecting productivity culture and doesn't feel like improving herself right now. We share housework, cooking, and other practical matters, and she does exercise, but I'm getting increasingly frustrated, disgusted even, that she would waste this gift of free time just to watch TV and read books better suited for children. I have asked her to get counselling and a depression evaluation. (laughs) But she has refused and thinks she is conducting herself quote-unquote fine. Do you have any suggestions other than divorce? This is... First of all, I want to... Can I share my thoughts? Is it on my uh, my delivery? Because I was very, very proud. Your delivery was fantastic. I felt like... I felt like I was reading the email. I was Caroline in that instance and you were the that dick. No offense. Um, oh, thank you. Sorry. Very believable. <laughs> First of all, I want to take her out for a drink and I just want to give her a big hug. And I want to say good on you for rejecting productivity culture. And your husband sounds like a bit of a douchebag. That's a lot, isn't it? That's intense. Disgusted? Disgusted is such a strong word. What was the word he used before disgusted? Frustrated. Disgusted. Frustrated, even. nay, disgusted. Mm-hmm. What a cock. Sorry, but that's just like, what do you think about that? What are your thoughts? Well, I completely agree with you. I think... Uh, Unusual. <laughs> <laughs> I think he sounds a little entitled, a little bit um, holier than thou. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's considering divorce, I think is interesting. I mean, a lot of relationships have been completely thwarted by the pandemic. That's true. That's actually a whole other topic, isn't it? It is. And clearly these two have spent such a lot of time engrossed in their work as two lawyers. Must be an an intense household. Really intense. Very like debatey, right? Definitely. Um, But he seems pretty hell-bent on getting a divorce. I'm going to read you the update just so that gives us a little bit more clarity. Fantastic. Hi, Carolyn. I am the lawyer husband who wrote in some weeks ago about being frustrated that my wife, also a lawyer, wasn't taking advantage of the extra time we had gained from not commuting and travelling for work to do more productive things such as intellectual reading and more intensive exercise. We did subsequently attend a few sessions with a marriage counsellor, which were very helpful. Now, that I think is quite good. I think if you have issues in your relationship, talking to someone, seeking some professional help sounds like they tried 100% and I think I think marriage counseling is on most parts productive right because you have someone who's a neutral person coming in and giving objective productive feedback in particular we identified that a big part of the difference in how we wanted to spend our leisure time was a direct result of the specific demands of our paid work although we are both lawyers my work at the moment involves working on routine contracts for the most part that are not particularly intellectually challenging on the other hand hers involves clients who are much more emotionally demanding plus high stakes pro bono work with life-saving implications so she ends up feeling drained and wanting to take it easy during non-work time So I, (laughs) to me, this sounds like the marriage counsellor has put him back in his place (laughs) and has said, perhaps Michael, or what's his name? Doesn't say. Anonymous lawyer. Perhaps Michael, again, sorry for any Michaels out there. Really, Janet's and Michaels are getting thrashed today. I'm sorry. Um, Michael, perhaps this could be because your wife does more um, demanding one-on-one work with her clients. Don't you think? That sounds like therapists speak to me. It does. It sounds like they've clearly analysed the situation. This sounds... He's been woken up. And I think good on him for being self-aware, I will say that. It does sound like he's lost a couple of feathers, doesn't it? Yeah, very much so. Ultimately, we also figured out that I'm just a person who likes to go on all cylinders all the time, which makes my current work all the more frustrating, although I'm glad to have it at a time when a lot of law firms have been doing layoffs, while she 
prefers cosy, quiet time in her personal life. After the counselling sessions, we did decide to separate slash divorce due to not really having compatible outlooks and priorities, but are doing so from a much warmer, friendlier place without resentments and blame. That just... <laughs> I sound really cynical in this, and I don't mean to. I... I think it's fantastic that they came to that resolution, but it sounds a little bit like he's smiling through gritted teeth, like very, very mutual. I'm so happy with this decision. Well, the thing is, his original question was, what should I do except divorce? So clearly divorce was on the table already for him. Very much so. So you think maybe that was like a cry for help, like a help, I don't want a divorce, but I don't see any other way out of this. I think it's quite interesting because although I don't know what it's like to be a lawyer, I imagine that your work can change from time to time. I'm guessing that he hasn't always done easier contract-based work. Right. I'm guessing at some point he could do something more taxing on him if he wanted to. Maybe he doesn't want to. Maybe he enjoys the free time he has to go off and learn other languages or read 25 biographies. I think she's dodged a bullet there. Big bullet. I'm like, get out, go to Vegas, go go somewhere, run, run away. Um, but I also think that he has some, some learning to do. I think he has some learning to do, but it seems like he's already starting to learn. At the core, we are just very different people. Something that really didn't come to light while we were so, so busy finishing law school and singularly focused on building our careers. But the close quarters of the pandemic made it obvious we would be happier going in different directions. Ding, ding, ding. I mean, I don't think it's an issue. I really don't. For you and your partner to have different ideas of like how you want to spend your quality time. I think it's really healthy to both enjoy different things. I completely agree. And in the case of this guy, he was not only pleased with himself for doing these extracurricular things outside of work, but he was actively disgusted that she wasn't doing those things. He was loading his expectations of himself on his partner. And while it's disappointing for him that he doesn't have a partner who shares the same goals outside of work, that's his problem, not hers to overcome. 100%. I I think it's really healthy to have different interests aside from work. I think in that case, the fact that they're both lawyers to me is obviously quite challenging because you're both in the same field, you're both in the same line of work, you understand to some extent what the other person's going through. So, so for their spare time, um, to me, it makes sense that they both have different interests, right? They're different people. Who cares if she likes cozying up with a book and reading fantasy? Go on, girl, get that fantasy. And if he wants to read, you know, 25 biographies, as you've said, good on him. But I, I think it's very healthy and, and normal to have different interests in your relationship, in your partnership. I think also what he's probably learned is that a lot of people have a similar amount of energy to give to, to their lives, um, obviously some people tend to have more energy than other people but it seems like he's realised that she's not just lazy that she's so spent by the work she does that when she comes home she doesn't have anything else to give that is when she wants to sit with a book so I think in a way he's probably learnt I hope he's learnt that um, that ultimately it's not that she's just been lazy, it's just that the work she's been doing is so taxing. And so the work, the effort that he doesn't exert at work, she's exerting at work. You know what? I think we should both try and guess where he is now. And I'm going to start us off. Okay. <laughs> Let's just call him Michael, right? We're going to go back to the old good old Michael. I think Michael has actually gone out of law. I think he's gone, screw this. 
I want to follow my dreams and just travel, which granted may be a little complicated with the old COVID, but I think he's just somewhere in Brazil in a cabana and he's he's writing to Caroline being like, I'm here, I've made it, I'm happy, I'm free, I'm living my adventurous lifestyle. And I bet you in a few months time, he's going to settle down with a gorgeous Brazilian. And on the other side, his now ex-wife, hopefully the paperwork has been filed, is just excelling in her job, supported by someone who understands how difficult and taxing her work is. And instead of making her feel shit for the fact that she's not doing anything quote unquote productive, is actually kind of enabling her to fully unwind, maybe going for walks on the beach, maybe going for a massage, maybe doing a pizza night. Like I'm just, I vibe this all in my head. I see fairy lights, I see candles. Where do you think he is? I reckon, I reckon he's still a lawyer, but I think he's probably with someone who isn't a lawyer. Isn't. Isn't. I think there is an air in his voice that he likes being the intellectual one in the relationship. Agreed. I don't think he'd want to feel emasculated by some girl boss going out and, you know, just just seizing the day. Mm -hmm. But I think he would want someone who maybe has a more active lifestyle outside of work. So I'm imagining that he's possibly now with a person who maybe has less at work going on, a less stressful work life. Let's say. Like a Barry's boot camp kind of gal? I'm not really sure what that means. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Barry's boot camp is like this really intense sort of training. It's like high anaerobic, hit, high intensity training, like brah. Oh, okay. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love these asides. They're great. (laughs) So I think we've covered quite a lot in this first episode. We have. I'm just looking at my logic pane here, which is what we're recording in. Um, It's difficult to tell how long this episode will be. Obviously, we want to streamline things a bit, and I'm not afraid of editing. But I thought it could be good in this final chapter of the episode to talk about maybe what the format is going to be going forward so that people can know what to expect going forward. Absolutely. Um, Going forward, what we're going to do is we're going to share an insight of the week, right? The thing that's happened to us that week, which we want to talk about what we do on all voice notes, essentially. Then from those insights, we're going to launch into our topics of the week, which you will see on the title of the pod. Tune in for next week. We don't know what we're going to talk yet about because we like to keep things authentic and unplanned as possible. I think so. We've definitely made a good list of potential topics to talk about. Don't give away our secrets. No, I won't. (laughs) That we've uncovered during our WhatsApp voice notes. Right. Um, And I think it's quite interesting just looking through the list. Maybe at some point, if we've done a few of these, we can have a look through the list and just see what trends there are. Um, Because I think yours are probably more relatable and mine are a little bit more reflective and existential. So it'd be interesting to see how they meld together. But again, I like that. You bring the rational, I bring the zing. But you bring zing too. That's so selfish of me to say. He's very zingy, guys. Such a Leo. I know. (laughs) How do we close off the podcast? How about a fun fact? A fun fact? Yeah. I've got one. Okay. Um, I don't actually know if this is true or not. But I like the idea of it. That's why they're fun, because you never know whether they're true or whether they're a load of shit. So there's an area in the West Country here in England called Cheddar. And there was a 9,000-year-old skeleton discovered there a few years ago. And he was known as the Cheddar Man. That's what people referred to him as in like the analysis lab or whatever. Right. His DNA was analysed and they found a descendant, a living relative, who was teaching history half a mile from where he was buried, linking 300 generations of people within his family. So they linked Mr. Cheddarman to a teacher in the local area. That's same, freaking cool. Same DNA. Same DNA. I've got another fun fact for you. 
So there is a new tube line called the Victoria, no, no, it's not, the Queen Elizabeth line. It's a purple line. Uh, And basically they're building that, but they're having real difficulties building the tunnels, which as you can imagine is like a feat of engineering, right? You have to build, but not too much and not destroy the, you know, functioning of the other tubes. Anyway, they keep digging into mass graves. Oh, not where I thought this was going. I know. This is why you got to tune into voice notes because you never know where it's going to go. Every day is a history lesson. Every day is a history lesson. Every day is a new fun fact. So this mass grave um, dates back from the plague, the Black Plague, and they keep getting archaeologists and geologists to examine the site. And they basically, it takes them about a month. Imagine digging, digging, oh, found an arm, oh, found another arm. And then you just see it's like a full mass grave. So they keep digging and then having to stop, which is why it's taking so long. Fun fact over. You can now destroy. Wow. I didn't know that. The line that I thought you were going to talk about is called the Waterloo and City line. It's colloquially known as the drain. And it literally only runs between Waterloo and Bank with no immediate stops. That's so dinky. Yeah. Cute little drain. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of Voice Notes. We are so happy that you made it all the way through. Yeah. And believe me, (laughs) they will get better. Much better. This was our first run. Okay. We're warming up. Yeah. Teething problems. <laughs> Next week we're going to have a new host. <laughs> <laughs> we're actually just going to give up. Um, thank you for listening. You're all beautiful people, and stay tuned for another voice note. Bye. <laughs> for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I quite like that. Mm-hmm.